Love the haiku. Love the sonnet. Love the quatrain and the couplet. Love the words. From East Leeds FM. Listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM. And tonight we have the writer Julius Gunter. Hello, Julius. Hi, Peter. Nice to link up with you again. It's really lovely to speak to you. The last time uh, we met was in Chapel FM before the pandemic when you uh, presented and assembled some wonderful programmes for us called Angles of Light, which were. Yeah, an introduction for me to some amazing writers from uh, Caribbean. And, and that, is that where you are now, in Jamaica? Yes, I am in Kingston, Jamaica. Returned from the UK in 2019, and I've uh, been here since. So how's it been for you this last 18 months in Jamaica? For me, uh, personally, it has been, been good. Of course, some challenges here and there, but generally the country has been having a lot of uh, challenges. And uh, despite me being fairly okay, it's it's hard to ignore the challenges that are around me. Absolutely, yes. But you've managed to keep body and soul together and you've got a new book out, which is very exciting. I've read it, it's very interesting and I really wanna hear about it and I'm sure listeners do too. So um, tell us about this new book, Rowan Bulkin and the Shadows. Okay, Rohan Bulking and the Shadows is an autobiography. It's a book about a number of things, and it was very challenging to um, capture so many different themes um, in this book. But primarily, it is about adverse childhood experiences, these challenges that many children um, across cultures endure, difficulties such as uh, various forms of abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, um, extreme poverty. The book sheds light on how these challenges that uh, children endure um, impact them in terms of their ability to perform well um, in school, academically, their ability to form wholesome relationships, and later on, when they become adults, their uh, struggles um, in sort of various ways. Um, it's also very much a book about the wonders of literature and reading and how books can help us to make sense of certain difficulties, um, to find answers to complex questions, or books can be our friends when we feel um, alone and in need of love and support. It's a book about community, and the importance of community in helping children through um, difficulties. Um, Rohan Bulking and the Shadows is based on some of my early uh, experiences, uh, challenges growing up in uh, difficult circumstances in rural uh, Jamaica. Um, it's a book that takes on a very complex issue 
abuse, but it's also uh, full of hope and wonder and uh, is suitable for children who uh, just love to read, um, but also for children who need some assistance as processing some of the difficulties that they're going through. Absolutely. And it's, yes, it's, it's a really beautifully illustrated children's book, which is not just for children. I felt it was also for, for anybody really who, as you say, has shadows and whose shadows kind of prevent them doing stuff, particularly in this case, reading. Is reading something that's been precious to you and hard won over the years? Did you, did you read as a child? No, I did not, um, which is one reason I'm so um, interested in this uh, issue. I remember just before I left um, the UK, Bradford, I was invited, but I was unable to, to attend to uh, participate in a documentary by the BBC on literacy. I really wanted to, uh, because there are some serious issues with literacy um, in, in Bradford, and I'm sure elsewhere in the UK. I learned to read um, when I was uh, 12 years old. Um, and was one of uh, maybe one or two students who were forced to repeat grade six at primary school because we were not uh, ready to move to the high level at high school. Um, and the, the years before that, before learning, were extremely difficult for me. I don't think that we uh, talking off about the deep sense of humiliation that one feels, the perennial humiliation if you're an adult, um, who is forced to go through one's entire adult life without being able to to read. Um, it is extremely difficult and has, I believe, not just psychological but physical um, consequences of having to live with this kind of uh, pressure for a very, very long time. Um, reading changed um, my life. I'm absolutely certain that there is a great connection, strong connection between uh, being able to read um, having lived a traumatized, difficult life and learning to read and reading being a tool that can help people to process and overcome their trauma in ways that not developing that skill um, would sort of make it difficult for them to understand certain things and heal in certain ways. I, uh, fascinating. We'll continue that thread in a minute. Um, I can hear rain and storm in Jamaica. <laughs> can you hear that? <laughs> I was wondering if, if that was... Yes. Is it... Uh, am I still clear? Absolutely. Describe what's okay. out of your window. What can you see? Um, it's, it's just raining. It's been raining very uh, sort of frequently, almost every day around the same time, uh, just after midday. Um, yeah, so it's a rainy season here. Hurricane season. It's wonderful. It's like, uh, yeah, I can hear it very, very clearly. But it's, it's, um, yeah, it's making me see pictures. But it's probably not the picture, the actual pictures. But I, I'm, I'm kind of seeing the rain coming down in Jamaica. Wonderful. Um, so, <laughs> Julius, yeah, what, um, what, what, what actually got you, or who got you into reading? How did that happen for you? I mean, it, obviously, Rohan or Rowan. Do you say Rohan or Rowan? Rohan. Rohan. In the book, is a small boy, uh, and he is he, he, he finds reading he finds books and it's a very beautiful story uh how did that happen to you so in in the story rohan befriends a librarian by the name of miss cheryl and miss cheryl is very kind um which a lot of children just need generally but especially children 
who have challenges with reading, they need a patient um, supporter and advocate. And um, this character is actually just right out of my own experience. Um, when I, I was in grade six, sort of repeating um, in my second year, uh, a teacher came, a trainee teacher came to the school, was sent there by the Ministry of Education, um, and she started a reading program for slow students. And when she asked students to volunteer, I was the first one who raised my hand, and I was the last student who was left in the program. I was intrigued by this uh, teacher, particularly because she was extremely kind uh, to me. And there was a time when I, I did a few things to see if she would get upset because that is what I was used to. And because she was so consistent and so pleasant, I really did the best that I could. And in that very short time, my reading ability improved significantly. And I would say that this is, our, that was perhaps the, the transformative uh, moment for me in terms of sort of becoming interested in, in books and reading. Um, but beyond that, I was fortunate enough when I was 11 year old to have met a gentleman by the name of Mike who came to Pearl River from Texas, uh, a white man. Mike fought in the Vietnam War and it af affected him in terrible ways, and, which is, is quite common in terms of you know PTSD. And um, he was sort of running away from um, the United States and trying to find peace of mind, trying to heal. And Mike became my friend and then my mentor. And he introduced me to books, and uh, particularly to uh, children's books in the beginning. Um, the Harry Potter series, those books changed my life. And it was between Mike's um, intervention, um, also his sort of faith in me, belief that I could make something of myself, and that teacher who was in my life for just a few months. I think these are the two people who helped me um, to, grow and to develop an interest in reading. And without that, I highly, highly doubt, and I'm not overstating that I would even be alive today, given the difficulties in my early background. So those difficulties were preventing you from, from, from reading, from other, presumably from participating in school life more generally? Yes, so I grew up in rural Jamaica and unfortunately I grew up in a single parent home with three siblings and my mother well home because we moved a lot because of uh, various uh, challenges uh, by the time I was about nine years old I'd probably lived in eight or nine different um, homes um, we endured uh, poverty and <coughs> we know from research you know, and just from common sense, the children who endure these kinds of difficulties, uh, physical abuse, uh, extreme poverty, that it's much more difficult for them uh, to, to learn to read because the parts of their brain, the prefrontal cortex, for example, that should be, f that focuses on executive functioning, um, learning new things, impulse control, delaying gratification, um, these parts of the brain are usually overwhelmed by stress and so it's extremely difficult for them to sort of maximize um, their potential in that way because they're always on the lookout for threats 
um, hypervigilant, hyperactive, and you know these um, were some of my my experiences. You know, despite my best effort as let's say a ten year old, I just could not learn. Nothing would register. Nothing would um, process. As a fourteen year old living in an extended family setting, I was um, thrown out by my family, told to um, that to, to leave. I didn't know where to go, and um, pretty much have been on my own since I was 14 years old. I, I moved after asking random people in other community if I could stay with them. An old man, you know, took me in, but that was um, less than ideal. It was a very sort of abusive situation. Um, but then looking back, I feel like that was a blessing, being thrown out by my family, because I don't know if I would have survived. And when I say this, I say this, while I'm thinking about my friends who did not make it, who uh, were killed or who went to prison um, or who turned to, to crime in order to survive. That's just uh, the reality. It's a reality for a lot of people in Jamaica, but just just be clear, it's a reality for many, many children um, in the United uh, Kingdom as well and pretty much everywhere in the world. So these are some of the experiences that I had. and. I have worked extremely hard over the years to try to make sense of them. And um, some of my efforts led me uh, to, to countries in the Eastern Caribbean. I lived in the Blue Mountains in Jamaica, Jamaica's highest peak for a couple of years, and uh, lived in, in, in Japan um, for three years, and went to the University of Bradford where I did uh, my master's dissertation on my life. And so I had to go through this long and complicated process in order for me to first understand why I struggled with uh, chronic depression, why I was not able to sleep for 30 years. One of my greatest discoveries throughout this pandemic was discovering how to sleep. And it's the greatest pleasure I have ever felt. A lot of people have these challenges, but they don't know that there are connections between the ways in which they're suffering and struggling with some of the early difficulties that they have, they had. And the book is trying to make these connections for people. And um, as you said, it's a book for children who are literate, but also a book for adults to read to children who are illiterate for whatever reason. But it's also a book for adults to read for themselves as an introduction to ACs, and hopefully that will encourage them um, to do further research um, into the particular challenges that they are facing. Julius, I love the idea of, of, of books being friends. Um, mm. It's a very beautiful idea, and I think many people will be able to relate to that, particularly children who have perhaps been through what you've been through, but also and have been lucky enough to, to pick up reading. But also for other people, perhaps children who, you know, perhaps were lonely in their adolescence or childhood and, and suddenly adults became adults who perhaps are solitary but um, obviously all sorts of people read. I was wondering whether you had any particular books that you would say are your, are your special friends. <laughs> That's an interesting. Um, I, I read a book by, by Dave Eggers once called what is the what and 
I, I really love that book because I think that what is the what tells the story of Valentino Achak Deng, who was one of the last boys from Sudan. It it follows him, his journey from Sudan, I think through Ethiopia, then to Kenya, then to the United States, where he became educated. Um, and, and then later on, this is not in the book, but later on he went back to, to Sudan and became an education minister, now has a foundation there and is uh, helping children in that country. That, that book, it, it was just a remarkable, remarkable read for me, remarkably well written, um, but just the, the resilience and the humanity of, of Valentina Deng. Um, there are so many things in that book that resonated with me and um, continue to inspire me today. Um, I would say to maybe all of the Harry Potter books, one of the things that I talk about, usually when I talk with children about reading, is just the importance of using one's imagination and how reading can help you uh, to do that because then it introduces you to um, entirely new and different worlds, ideas that you normally wouldn't come across without this experience. And as a 14-year-old on my own experiencing psychosis, um, being afraid to sleep because closing my eyes meant that I would have begin to have a, a nightmare. And so many of my nights were spent staring into the, the dark zinc ceiling. When I read the Harry Potter books, I got permission for the first time, I would say, to use my imagination as a tool for surviving. My father was not around, unfortunately. My mother lived somewhere else. And I created imaginary parents. I, I lived in a rural Jamaica, so there was a lot of trees around. I had wands that I carried in my waist. Um, I had this sort of magical beast animal that walked with me around and protected me, kept me safe. And a lot of literature on ACs, for example, there's this, this great book on, uh, on, on trauma and resilience and healing called The Body Keeps a Score by Basil van der Kolk, an academic from the United States. Yeah. And he speaks about the importance of one's imagination in terms of that being a, a, a tool to help people who are traumatized to heal. Trauma sometimes ruins that. And without that it's sometimes difficult for people to imagine a new life for themselves. And so I would say, what is the what? The Harry Potter books, um, The Body Keeps the Score, um, some books that I've read by some Jamaican um, writers, in some cases not because of the content of those books, but the use of language, which itself, in and of itself, can be a healing thing. Books by Kai Miller. Sorry, Julius. Yes, I mean, you've referred to ACEs. Yes. Tell us, I'm, I know what they are, but perhaps you could just explain. Right, sure. So adverse childhood experiences refer to intense sources of stress that many children um, go through. Um, the ACEs concept was first uh, mentioned in a, in a report by Kaiser Permanente and the Centers for Disease Control, which are two organizations in the United States. They did a study in 1997, 98, of more than 7,000 peop 
paper where they looked at 10 adverse child experiences and how these adverse child experiences um, affected them later on in adult life. And these included uh, physical, sexual, and emotional abuse, physical, uh, emotional neglect, and various forms of household dysfunctions, um, including a parental divorce, uh, separation, um, domestic violence, a family member who was incarcerated, family member uh, who was uh, abusing substances, etc. And what they found um, was that there's a strong correlation between the number of ACs that a person has and certain health outcomes. A later study which was done at Stanford University by Dr. Nadine Barkaris, who is a leading um, figure in the global so-called ACs movement, showed that children who have been through four of these adverse child experiences without any kind of buffering and who develop what is known as toxic stress or toxic stress response, that these children are 32 times more likely to have behavioral problems or to struggle to learn in school. So we have been having this conversation about trauma and child abuse for a very long time. What this science is helping us to do now is to make very distinct connections between a particular uh, challenges and certain outcomes or a particular number of ACEs and certain outcomes. It's still uh, very much a, a young field and like, um, all fields in science, ACS research has its critics, but it is the science is so so it's complex, but it can be simplified in a way that will sort of help people who generally wouldn't be interested or be able to process more complex ideas around trauma and to understand um, these issues. So it has grown uh, in the United States. Now California has its first Surgeon General, Dr. Nadine Barkaris, who is doing significant work in the United States in terms of raising awareness of the issue here. And I am working with a number of people in the Caribbean to um, do the same. Fantastic. Um, so the book is, is called Rohan Bulkin and the Shadows. And uh, I'm going to ask you in a little while, uh, before we finish, how you can get hold of the book. I just yes. also wanted to to mention and to, to, to ask about your, I mean, obviously you mentioned Marcus Garvey several times and there's a uh, section at the end about him. Tell us about Marcus Garvey and his, um, and his impact upon you and his, yeah, his, his influence upon you. Thank you. So the, the initially, I wanted to, in terms of the book that I wanted to write, there's this really great essay, very brief, by Marcus Garvey called How to Read. And I wrote Marcus Garvey's son, Dr. Julius Garvey, and asked him for permission to turn this into a children's book. That is what I was going to do at the beginning. But then I was doing this research on ACEs and found a way to, to combine the uh, ACEs and importance of reading um, in, into, into one book. And um, it was extremely difficult, but it, it worked out in the end. Um, Marcus Garvey has had a tremendous impact on my life. You know, there was a time, maybe in my early uh, 20s, when I spent a lot of time reading about this sort of particular aspect of our history. Marcus Garvey in the United um, States during the Harlem Renaissance in the 1920s. Um, working alongside um, other Jamaican academics, but important 
um, writers from um, America and elsewhere and reaching millions of people at a time when he did not have you know social media and a lot of the um, opportunities that we have now to you know promote our ideas uh, Marcus Garvey was a really important um, um, figure in black intellectual thought in black activism um, in this this whole notion of black self-worth and selfhood and one of the things that makes me a bit upset sometimes about Jamaica um, is sort of the ways in which um, despite the efforts of some people um, people who are uh, sort of in control of what information is shared in our schools have not sort of been taking Marcus the efforts to make Marcus Garvey's uh, words and ideas a part of our, our curricula um, very sort of seriously. Um, Marcus Garvey, no doubt, was a controversial figure while he was here in Jamaica, but very much was very much rejected by um, the lettered um, classes um, or class. Um, but but in 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 um, inspired though by the efforts that. Um, are still in existence here in Jamaica, but also around the world, to keep his philosophy and opinions alive. Um, this man wrote about pretty much everything. Um, a remarkable um, voice um, whose um, compelling ideas will continue to um, inspire me, and as long as I'm able to, I will continue to share them with others. Well, thanks, Julius Gunter. Thanks so much for talking to us. And, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, so much uh, around the book uh, that you've written uh, in terms and also in it. It's about a, a boy who really comes through in terms of reading and for whom reading becomes, becomes well, a friend. And that's a wonderful thing. And, uh, and obviously, for his... It's keeping your own life story. So, and and great to hear about Marcus Garvey, fascinating figure. So, how yes. do you get hold, Julius, of the book? So, the book is available for pre-order on all online platforms, Amazon, etc. Um, it will be published on uh, December thirty-first. Um, yeah. Uh, and for people who are interested in bulk orders, they can um, just connect uh, with Carbon Reads Publishing, which is the uh, um, press behind the book. Um, you can find their information online, just type in Carbon Reads Publishing and go to their contact page. Um, before we go, I just want to say uh, a, a big thank you for Carbon Reads uh, for sticking with me um, on this project. And there were uh, some individuals like my dissertation supervisor from uh, Bradford, um, who was with me through this whole process and helped with um, editing the book. I'm extremely grateful to um, Dr. Uta Kelly for her um, support and, and belief in my work and in me and what I'm trying to do. Um, they say that it takes a village to write a book, <laughs> and that was very true in my case. I'm very, very grateful to them. Um, and I just want to say, um, to close, that I know from a biological perspective, but also from cultural perspectives in the Caribbean, emotional repression, particularly among men, is a very serious thing. Why it is so difficult for a lot of us to talk about trauma, to talk about these things. Um, it's not easy to go back to these memories. Um, it's not easy to confront family members or others who harmed us in these kinds of ways. 
but I want to make it clear that Rohan Bulking and the Shadows is not it's not a sad book. It's an honest book, but it's a book that is is full of hope. It begins with an overview which is geared towards adult readers, a letter to grown-ups, um, explaining the purpose of the book. Then there's a story. Then at the end of the book, I provide an overview of adverse child experiences, which can be read um, by, by anyone, but I'd, I'd love for adults, particularly uh, physicians, psychologists, social workers, teachers, to read this with children and to help children to process and to understand. It gives um, many... Uh, sort of ideas in terms of what people can do um, to heal. So it's very much a book about the whole process, sharing what the problems are, helping us to understand them, how they affect us, but then also presenting us with suggestions in terms of ways in which we can help children to, to improve and to get better. So um, hopefully, uh, that will encourage people to go out and, and get it. And it can be read by anyone, just as a, a normal book. It's not just for people who have been through these experiences. It's also beautifully illustrated, Von Husky. Ah, yes, yeah. Rachel Moss. Let's thank Rachel Moss, a great Jamaican uh, illustrator. She did a remarkable job on this one. Thanks very much, Julius, for joining us. And, you know, keep us in touch with whatever you're doing, wherever you are in the world, Japan, Canada, Jamaica. It's always great to talk to you. And, and I would recommend anybody go back to Angles of Light. Um, there are two big programs uh, in comprising recordings of, of writers in Caribbean reading their own work with music. Uh, that really they've chosen really beautiful programs. They're from the Chapel FM website. Thanks, Julius, and all the very best. Thank you, Peter. Thank you so much. So many demons inside where you if me tell us, I'm a share them secret, them lie. No energy divide, but me still have to fight. I feel and conquer like Silasia. So not true, me a smile and my jewelry. A shine is a gloomy alignment, the moody at times. So me miss where a cruelty intrude me, a chew me, a jal. But me can from my duty, a life from me, a youth, me a try get wet. Hello. Hello, hello. Can anybody hear me? Hello, hello. Feels like I'm in here. Love the nouns. Love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. Hello, you're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM, and I'm talking to the poet. Susan Darlington. Hello, Susan. Hi, thank you for having me here. It's lovely to have you here. It's the first time you've been to Chapel FM. That's correct, yeah. 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 Lovely building. Oh, good. Glad you like it. <laughs> Glad you like it. And you've got a new uh, collection of poetry or a, a chapbook out um, called Traumatropic Heart, which is a brilliant 
uh, title. I'm going to ask you about that in a moment. But what, just somebody listening in goes, what's a chat book? What is a chat book? Um, it's a smaller version of a full collection. I mean, a full collection of poetry, you'd be thinking of maybe 60 poems. So a chapbook is half that, and they tend to have maybe a tighter theme. Right, OK, so the theme is important to it. As a, as a, a chapbook, the, the, the thematic idea is important in that, is it? That was my, my interpretation of it, yeah. And certainly mm. when I put together this co collection, the theme was really important in creating a narrative arc throughout it. Great. So a pamphlet, mm -hmm. as opposed to a chapbook, might be, a, again, a smaller collection, not a collection, but a smaller sort of gathering of writing, but not necessarily so thematically linked in a way, perhaps. Uh, I would probably use the two, pamphlet and chapbook, interchangeably. Yeah. But uh, I think more people probably understand what a pamphlet is. <laughs> OK, yeah. Um, chapbook sounds rather sort of medieval, actually, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> I, I sort of have a sort of a picture of vellum and some kind of portfolio, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like a portfolio, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now the title is really interesting. So tell us about that word, traumatropic. Yeah, it's a word I came across in a book by Paul Anthony Jones, where he's looking at um, sort of arch archaic words, really. And one of the words he put out was traumatropic, mm. which is when a tree or plant is damaged, mm. such as through lightning strike, but then continues to grow. Um, and I just thought it was a wonderful metaphor, really, for mm. the trials that we endure as humans mm. and that can change our, the direction of our life mm. and often going into a direction that we didn't anticipate but often is better than we thought it was. Mm -hmm. um, and so I thought that mot metaphor w was really important, but also that sense of hope that actually you know, we, we can be damaged <laughs> Um, but ultimately, you know, we, we can learn and change through that experience and hopefully come out better. Yes, it's a really lovely idea. Actually, mm. I have a very strong visual images uh, of, of when you're talking, when you were speaking about that. Um, <clears throat> up in Nidderdale, where, I, where I've been quite a bit, there's a tree in Scrikes Wood that has fallen, and that, and, but it's kind of, it was obviously damaged, smashed, mm. and then... And then it's grown in, and it's now is like a, it's like a Viking boat yeah. that is still alive, and it's a fantastic mm. place. Our kids used to climb on there, and it was, you know, we call it the boat, you know. Yeah. And it's, so yeah, I had a, such a strong image of that place when you were speaking. Yes, and it's mm. a lovely image of how, yeah, we adapt and continue, I suppose, as human beings, despite what we have to go through or what we do go through um, yeah. occasionally. Um, so, yeah, first of all, let's read us, read, us, read us a poem, first of all, if you would. Okay. Um, well, the, the poems in it so go on a narrative arc, which I'll start off in a more mm. natural setting and then move into a more domestic setting. Yeah. So I'll start off with something which um, is quite seasonal. It's called Autumn. Yeah. Fox carries Autumn on her back. Windfall brambles that are sweet with frost are slung in the hollow of her shoulder blades, and pine cones that are open to the breeze line the valley ridges of her spine. She slips across fields, strands of fur that snag on fence posts and barbed wire, flaring brightly through the mist before tumbling into a carpet of golden leaves. She scoops handfuls of these crisp sunbursts, pulls the harvest moon into her eyes, and tricks summer into giving her five minutes from each day. She takes them into the woods, 
checks that she's not being watched and caches the daylight in a den. She stands guard while, in a nearby clearing, leaves mulch and it starts to snow. Mm. Lovely, thank you. So, f- yeah, is this, is Traumatropic tra- Heart, mm. uh, or is it Traumatropic? Traumatropic, I believe. Traumatropic. Yeah. Is it uh, your first collection or chapbook pamphlet, or have you published others? Uh, no, in uh, 2015, I had a collection called Under the Devil's Moon published mm. through uh, Penniless Press. And have you always written, or is it something that's a late come into your life? Um, both. I mean, I think I've always, for as long as I remember, I remember writing. Um, but I suppose in the last decade or so, it's probably something which I've taken more seriously. Mm. Um, or certainly something which I've made more of an effort to get published in, in journals. Um, and I think at the minute it's such a vibrant community, you know, that there are so many online journals and, you know, just in in this region, we've got things like Dreamcatcher, which are really, really well respected. Mm. Um, so I think it's a very fortunate time for any emerging writer. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Did you? Was there a reason why, ten years ago, you started to take it more seriously? Is it something that's? Do you? Do you, yeah. Well, how how has that happened? Is there a story there? Um. Probably just a, a, an increase in in my confidence and and, and, a, and a, an awareness that this is something that I've always been doing. Mm. Um. But getting to a point where I place more value on it, mm. you know, I think when I'm not writing or expressing myself through through that medium, um, I f- almost feel like something is missing within me. And so it was almost doing honour to that by taking it more seriously. And um, I don't think everybody has to publish. It's not something that uh, that makes writing better. We can we can write for ourselves, and it still be incredibly valid. But for me communicating with other people is really important mm. you know i guess for me you know either books i read or music growing up connected with me and it made me feel heard mm. and i guess wanting to have that f- for other people was a very strong medium for me wanting to get out and publish my work and hopefully make other people feel heard and it's interesting i mean I'm, I, I suppose why i asked is that i'm, I'm interested in in how long it can sometimes take us to to, to take something that's so profoundly part of ourselves mm. seriously yeah. uh, and mm. to really get down to it and how we sort of deflect and distract ourselves from that and how we put all sorts of things in the way. And then finally, mm. I suppose one of the good things about getting just a little bit older, I think, is that you go, okay, what's stopping me here? So, yes, um, I was interested in that. And, and mm. so... Um, yeah, the themes of this this book. Having read it, and mm. thank you for sending me a PDF of it. It's really, really moving piece, and it's it's um, as a whole. Yeah, I mean, it's. Could you say something about the the, the way it has come about and the kind of th- theme of it? Yeah, well, I think um, like many people during lockdown, I spent a lot of time in nature. I spent a lot of time walking. Um, I think that that's something that I've always found therapeutic for want of a better word, I've always, if I've been stressed, I've always gone for a walk. It helps to give me that clarity of mind. But I think during lockdown, we didn't have the option to do anything else, really, mm. other than going going for the, into nature and go for walks. And that gave me a lot of time to really think 
um, and to, to be really present in, in nature. Um, and I think on a very unconscious level initially, those started to feed through into what I was writing and I found it was a, an incredibly productive period for me. Mm. You know, I think lockdown creative people went in, in two directions, either they completely dried up yeah. or like me, they found it very productive. Mm. Um, I, I reached a point where I had quite a lot of poems written, um, which was when I came across this word traumatropic. Mm. And that g- then gave me a real focus for how I wanted to structure the book. Um, as I was kind of looking through what I had written and creating a narrative around the concept of, of traumatropism. And then sort of consciously writing a couple of poems that would then fit into that arc and... I think, as I said earlier, I really wanted it to, to carry that message of, of hope and optimism. Mm. Um, so I wanted pieces that would then fi- fit into that particular arc. Well, do read us another poem, if you would. Uh, yeah, I will read um, Silver Birch. Cuffs of silver birch bind her wrists. Splinters of bark stretching flesh that's palely exposed to thin sunlight as her upreach mimics a sapling. The vertical of her body is broken by the hanging branch of her head, knots of hair tumbling from a bun that's twisted at the base of her neck. Last month's storm has left streaks of muddy mascara down her cheeks, and twigs that were lashed in the gale have ripped and caught in her tights. Now, all is still. Birdsong is stifled by the electric heat. Butterflies bask with a winged torpor, and a single leaf contritely falls to the parched ground. A rodeo enters the clearing unheard, scratches its neck against her hip bone, and lazily nibbles at the ferns that have germinated across her skirt. The warmth of its exhaled breath turns her blood into sap, and the walls of her cells thicken around green-budded chloroplasts. As the sun breaks from behind a cloud, the cuffs tighten around her wrists, her skin begins to photosynthesize, and she disappears. Mm, lovely. So, was there poetry around when you were young? I mean, or was it something you came to? I mean, when you was did you read? Did you when you were a child, or yeah, did you discover? When did you get poetry? <laughs> Um, I think I, I grew up in a household where writing and reading was was, was a norm. Um, but I think in many ways I came to poetry through songs. You know, I uh, I was always writing, but um, as a child it was probably more short stories. Um, but then in my early teens, like many people, I got massively into music and people like Patti Smith and um, Jarvis Cocker from Pulp, who in very different ways... Um, how quite a poetic turn of phrase, and especially Jarvis Cocker, right, being somebody from the north and writing in that kind of kitchen sink way, mm-hmm. was something that I could relate to. Um, and say so for me, it was that connection that was was really important of of people feeling that um, people reflecting my my way of being and and not feeling so isolated. And I think both of those people. Um, were very active about promoting their own influences, whether that's Rimbaud or, you know, um, Kerouac. And, 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 and I suppose from there, 
from that one love of, of music, it then spiralled out into looking at things that they were interested in. And that got me more into the, the poetry arc. Absolutely. And, um, I mean, obviously, this is these, these, these poems, you say, the lockdown experience being in nature. Uh, mm. were you, did you grow up in city or, or are you a rural person? Uh, I grew up in Osset, which um, is kind of on the cusp, I, I guess, or it certainly was when I was growing up. There was a lot of green space, a lot of which is green built on now. Um, but I kind of legit lived on the fringe of, of the town. So I always had um, woodland and ponds and having a dog at the time, you know, I'd always go out for walks. And so I, pretty much every day I was surrounded by that green space. Mm. And I think from a young age, um, it was a way for, for me to escape from day to day stresses and to give me that mental space to, to think. Yeah. So it's always been a massive part of my life. And yeah, having that time to, to think also gives me time to, to filter the things through and to get those ideas for poems. And are there poets at the moment who you're interested in particularly, who you, who you, who you would recommend to people listening, people who've been an influence upon you? Um, I think a couple of books that I, I've really enjoyed reading at the moment, not necessarily new ones. Um, there's Rebecca Goss, who's got a brilliant collection called Her Birth, uh, which is all about her experience of um, motherhood and, and losing a child. Um, and there's also Wendy Pratt, um, when I think of my body as um, as a horse, which again, interestingly, is also about motherhood and, and loss. Um, I think when I was reading this book, one of the one of the things I was reading a lot of is um, Kathleen Jamie, especially things like the Treehouse, which has probably got that more of a nature-based setting, and um, perhaps Ma Mary Oliver as well, who's very much American uh, primitive, which has got that nature bent. Mm. Well, let's have another poem. Okay. Um, having spoken about nature, I'll um, now move into a more of a um, domestic setting. Uh, and this one's called The Doll's House. It was anger that made the door shrink until she could barely fit through it anymore. Her hand grazing the white frame livid red and her shoulders snapping it from its hinges. It was anger that made the seams of her dress strain across her hips and the bud of her breasts, hitching the hem above flushed legs that kicked against the vermilion wall she'd overgrown. It was anger that made her smash a china cup through the rain-grimed windows that confined the stagnant air and towards which her waxy neck craned, growing long as it twisted to the light. And it was anger that gave her the voice to say no more, that made the doll's house crash down around her. And as she rose through the debris, it was the first time she could truly breathe. Mm. Well, the doll's house, yeah, evokes um, Ibsen, obviously, and uh, so is that a deliberate reference to that and the confining <laughs> kind of <laughs> the, the the sort of that image of the yeah of the sort of hemmed hemmed in woman. That, uh, it wasn't actually. Um, I mean, one one of the people who very kindly wrote an endorsement for the back of the book was Hannah Stone, yeah. um, a local writer who many yeah, people will yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Um, and she references oh, yeah. Ibsen's in in there, which was the first time that I'd made the connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was more the idea of um, 
I think when I wrote that, there was also the Me Too movement going on. Yeah. And I, generally speaking, I don't write political pieces, but I think some things are quite hard to ignore. And um, the idea of, of being confined is, is something that I think a lot of women can relate to in terms of um, society and, and, and various pressures. And as a metaphor, I think a doll's house and the confinement that we have within it um, was a thing that really appealed to me. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. So where can, it'd be lovely to hear one more poem and it would be, <laughs> yeah, it'd be good to know um, how we can get hold of the book. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's published through um, Selica Station. Um, so anybody who wants to buy it can have a look on the website. Just of, say it again. It's Selketh Station. Right. So it's just www.selkethstation.com. Okay. And it's available either in paper or ebook form. Marvellous. At a retail price of? It's £5 or two fifty, I believe, if you're buying the e-version. Fantastic. Um, well, um, it'd be lovely to hear another poem Susan thanks mm. ever so much for coming in my pleasure um, yeah so yeah go for it <laughs> <laughs> okay this is uh, I'll read the piece that closes the book it's called Translate the Notes and it's based on a um, photo by the American artist Francesca Woodman and then one day I didn't even need the piano I swept its ivory keys into the concert of my skin and laid them in the cissure between my vertebra. I cut the hammer strings from the unwritten frame and stretched them along the steel line of my nerves till my whole being vibrated with translated notes. I tightened the tuning pins in my fingertips and my body became music under my touch. Great. And I should say also there are some illustrations in the book are these by you or by somebody else or uh no they're, they're by a uh, very talented local artist um called Muzibar Rahman Ulla um, I think it was important for me to try and get some um to work with the community as much as possible and he was recommended by uh, a friend of a friend mm. he, he does also have his artwork online if anybody would like to take a look mm. um, he's on Instagram at just Moz does art Right. Well, they are really striking. Yeah, it's a very beautiful, colourful cover as well. So, Susan, before we go, yeah, it'd, it'd be great if you could, um, yeah, spin a disc for us. So well, what, what is the, the song, the piece of music you've chosen to, as an association with your work or your writing? Yeah, I'm going to choose a piece called Jessica, from Jessica Hoop called Passages End. Um, and there's a poem in my collection called Stone Babies, um, which is a phenomenon when a, a pregnancy fails in the early stages and it calcifies within the mother. Um, and I first came across this term on an album, Cold Stone Child by Jessica Hoop, from which this track is taken. Thanks very much, Susan Darlington. And we'll, you know, come back again, see us at the chapel. Anytime you've got something new happening or you're doing a reading or launching a new book, please do get in touch. It'll be my pleasure. Thank you very much. There's a house in the middle of the ocean You could see it when the waves dive Then they rise like furious mountains Swallowing the girl inside it
Love the control, love the command, 
Love the space bar and the hard return. Love the words from East Leeds FM. Come away.